Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. Church. Good morning, Myerstown. Good morning to all of you watching and joining us online as well. If you would, let's all join together and open our Bibles. One of the most important things that I will say this morning is this please turn in your Bible. Please turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 7. Text for today is this Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 20. Even as you're turning there, I feel compelled to pray again. And so, Father, we come. We bow our hearts. We humble ourselves. It's your presence that we seek. It's your words that we desire to hear. It's the power of your Holy Spirit, Father, that we long to submit to, that we may be transformed and changed today. Help, lead, guide, call us to be more conformed into the image of your Son, Lord God, we pray. We ask these things now in Jesus' name. And all of Mission Church everywhere said? All right, church, here we are. Sermon on the Mount, landing the plane. Jesus is now in his conclusion of the greatest sermon ever preached. And here today, uh, having now been called week after week after week after week, Jesus calling us, calling his disciples, calling all who would hear to be different, say different. Today we're on this, a different kind of caution. Now say caution. Anyone have to um, use some caution this past week? For sure. Pictures are everywhere, are they not? The pictures of the last couple of days. Some of you draining basements, taking detours turning around. It was a scary couple of days in many places for sure. But even as I looked upon these pictures and even as I began to study the text today in a really real way, it occurred to me that these pictures really, in a sense, visualize a real struggle, a real battle, a real nagging, a real longing, a real real reality, a real feeling that continues to kind of bubble up inside of me. Maybe you feel it too. 
beyond the literal floodwaters that we witnessed, experienced, felt, trotted through this past week, I find myself seeking to exercise all the more caution. More and more caution applied in more and more places. Having talked about anxiousness just a couple of weeks ago, I would like to propose to you that a lot of that anxiousness, I believe, comes as a result of this nagging feeling that we have inside of all of us. What is this? This constant tightrope, this constant tightrope of caution that we feel ourselves continually walking all the time. For sure. Many of us find this particular season that we find ourselves in right now, if I could kind of wrap it up in a word, this is a season of caution. We're cautious about what we say. We're cautious about what we do. We're cautious about what we read. We're cautious about what we hear. We're cautious about what we see. We're cautious about where we go. We're cautious about who we're with. We're cautious. We're cautious. We're cautious about what we share and what we pass on. We're cautious. We're cautious about what we post. We're cautious about what we like. We're cautious about what we laugh at. We're cautious. We're cautious about what we believe. Many times not trusting what we see, certainly for sure questioning what we hear. And like a deer in the headlights, this caution is freezing many of us. Can you imagine if we were to mark everything with caution tape that began to caution us right now? Could you imagine, would there be like anything like left untaped? Phones, caution tape. Computer screens, caution tape. TV screens, caution tape. And that, cars, caution tape. Drivers on phones, in cars, caution tape, right? My word. And that's not to just mention how, how, how many of you have a person in mind right now that you would love to mummify in caution tape this very moment? Like starting from their head, especially around their mouths, caution tape applied. Please! Use some caution. Even this past week, when the cautions before us were incredibly evident, there's always that one guy who stands as the role model of all the other guys who ought to be applying caution. Have you seen this guy? Come on, have you seen this guy? I believe that is um, on the highway in Philadelphia, our lovely city to the east. This guy kind of stands as a picture of many of us. While we're cautious about everything, we tend not to be cautious about the most important things, the most dangerous things, the most obvious things that are right in front of us. Friends, this life merits caution, no doubt. This life merits caution, no doubt. The decisions that we make here indeed do have 
a lasting impact. This life demands caution because the decisions and the choices that we make, they have immediate impact. But why else does this life merit great caution? Because the decisions that we make on this side of heaven, we know it to be true. We've learned it in this series already. They do affect. They do affect and have eternal consequence in the life that is to come. And as we studied on the Sermon on the Mount, what we've seen for sure over and over and over and over and over again is Jesus bringing this in view. Caution! Caution! You've heard it said, but I say, caution! You've seen it done, but I want this, I want you to do, caution! Even from the very beginning, as it pertains to this caution, what's in view? This life and the next, the bridge of this life and the next, this life and the next. From the very beginning, from the very Beatitudes, when Jesus says, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, what is he saying? Blessed are those who make decisions now, for they will have a lasting consequence. When he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, they will be poor now, but they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. They will mourn now, but they will be comfort in the life to come. They'll be meek now, but they will inherit eternal life. They will hunger now, but the day is coming in all of eternity when they will be satisfied. Be merciful now that the God, your Father, your Father God will show mercy to you in the end. Be pure in heart now. Why? Because the day is coming when you'll see God. Bear persecution now. For your reward is great in heaven. We've been saying, as it pertains to the attitudes, that we're not blessed in normal ways. We're blessed in a different way. We're blessed in a different way. We're, we're blessed. Why? Not because of all the tangible things and adornments around us. These hashtag blessings that we see all over social media. What have we said? We're blessed because Jesus has declared us as blessed. We're blessed because Jesus has rescued our souls. Today, what I want to make abundantly clear is Jesus is calling us to have great caution. But I want to clarify just where that caution needs to be primarily above all other places applied. You see, Jesus has pronounced us as blessed. Why? He can pronounce us as blessed because he's transformed our hearts. He's pronounced us as blessed because he's brought life to your soul. He's pronounced you as blessed because you've now been empowered to actually live out the sermon that we've been studying for these last 10 weeks. You see, here's what I want us to catch today. The intersection of this life and the life that is to come. The intersection of this life and the life that is to come. The intersection of these two realities is right here in the center of your heart. Jesus is zeroing in all the more on our hearts. He's been talking about our hearts all along. Friends, this requires a different kind of caution. While the world is wrapping caution tape on everyone and everything around us, Jesus Christ is saying it's our hearts where the greatest caution must be applied. It's our hearts. He's calling us to guard our hearts. Why? Because it's our transformed hearts that enable us to have a different kind of impact. It's a transformation of our hearts that enable us 
to live by a different standard. It's the transformation of our hearts that allow us to have a different kind of ambition. Hear the review. It's our hearts. It's the transformation of our hearts. It's the overflow of a transformed heart that enables us to store up treasures in heaven. It's our transformed heart that enables us to be anxious for nothing, even when we don't have the answers that we long to have. It's our transformed hearts that are able to look out and over and for one another without judgment. See last week's sermon. You see, it's our heart where caution needs to be applied. It's our heart that needs to be guarded. It's our heart that we must wrap in the caution tape of the gospel over and over and over again. Applied once for all, but reminded of over and over and over again. And it all begins with a choice. The transformation of your heart and my heart begins with a choice, and that's Jesus' point today. What's going to come before us, what comes before the listeners on that mountainside on that particular day was a choice, all of it leading to a choice. This choice is one that we must make confidently once for all, but then it is also a choice that you will see over and over and over again in the scriptures that needs to be cautiously protected over and over and over again once it has been made. So, friends, here we go. Set up complete. Introduction now done. On-ramp set. Need for caution made aware so if you're ready to apply caution to your heart and make the choice that Jesus calls you to make, if you're ready to put the caution tape of the gospel around your heart, just say this. Say, wrap it up on it. All right, friends, we pick up the text right where we did last week. Jesus calling for the response. We're in the midst of the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. One more week after this one, but here Jesus says this. Verse 13, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Verse 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenish wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Jesus asked, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistle? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. Different kind of caution. Caution in our hearts requires a different kind of caution. And here Jesus, will, Jesus is presenting to us two specific cautions that all of our hearts need to be keenly aware of and seeking after continuously all the time. And the first one is this. Examine the gateway we choose to travel. Examine the gateway that we choose to travel. You see, in this life, 
There is an intersection that exists in every one of our hearts. And now here, Jesus comes straight at it. You want to enter the kingdom of heaven? You want to have eternal life? You want to see Jesus when you die? You want to not go to hell? Jesus says in verse 13, enter by the narrow way. Enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. How easy is it for us as independent people to kind of think of this as an open-ended invitation of hospitality by Jesus? Kind of like a kind gesture of our Lord. Kind of like sometimes you'll say to your neighbor, hey, hey, you know what? You want to know, you know what? If you want to come over, if you want to come over, just so you know, the gate is always open. You know, you're, you're kind of always welcome here. So the, the reality is, hey, whenever, whenever you're ready... You take your time. You get, all your, you get all your yard work done. I know you're playing with the kids in the pool right now, but if there's, if there's ever a time that you wanted to come over to our house and you wanted to hang out and you, you wanted to spend some time together, just, just know this. Just know, just know that the gate is just always going to be open for you, Okay? I think for a lot of us, we look at this passage, and that is exactly how we take Jesus' statement here. Enter by the narrow gate. Friends, when Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate, check this, it's an imperative command. This is a command. This is a statement. This is a now. This is a, you've heard me preach. I've laid it all out. I'm showing you two ways. I've cautioned you over and over and over again. He's looking out at this crowd, and what is he now saying? Come on. Enter. Now is your time. Like today is the day of salvation. This is the moment that we've been waiting, that you've been waiting for. These all of these questions that are nagging in your soul. You may not have the level of detail of answer that you want on this side of heaven, but the one answer that I have for you now is that I am the way. Come. Like now. He's laying out an absolute command that requires an absolute choice. seems so incredibly simple but the point has to be made like how do you enter how do you enter you got to step through in order to step through what do you what do you need to do 
you got to choose to step through. And then you make the choice to step through cognitively, intellectually. You think to yourself, man, I really ought to step through. But you haven't stepped through unless you've actually stepped through. You see what I'm like? You can make the, you can even cognitively in your brain say to yourself, man, I really ought to go over. I really got to step through. I really ought to check this thing out. I really got, I really should, I really should. That is not the same as actually stepping through the gate. And there are a lot of people who, who ascribe spirituality upon themselves, who have delighted themselves in the entertaining of the thought of stepping through the gate. And today we will see that they have not done so. We must choose to step through. Jesus is giving an absolute command that requires an absolute choice. And every time we push off stepping through this gate, we remain absolutely damned. And that sounds harsh. And it, can, it sounds very demanding. It sounds very narrow. It sounds very old. And when those emotions come over my heart, what I have to realize is when I begin to feel that way, what I'm missing is the severity of the moment. It would be demanding if we were grilling in our backyards to demand you come through my gate now. It would be overbearing, wouldn't it? We were just swimming in the pools in our backyard and my gate was open. I said, come over here now. Enter through the gate now. But it's not, it doesn't sound nearly as demanding when you realize that the floodwaters of sin are about to suffocate all of us. It doesn't sound so demanding when you realize if someone was literally drowning before you, you would say to them what? Grab my hand. It sounds much less demanding when you realize it's, a, it's, an, it's an emergency. It's a lot less demanding, a lot less stringent when you realize, no, 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 call 911, get in my car. This, friends, this is the tone of Jesus, I believe. But the gate, the gate, the gate that is before us is it's just not to be trifled with. It's not to be put off. It's a choice that we all must make. Friends, hear me, we're not promised tomorrow. If the Lord has laid something heavy on my heart this week, it is that we are not promised tomorrow. James chapter 4, verse 13, come on now. 
you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and send a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are but a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes into all of eternity and God awaits you there. That's the point. And Jesus says the time is now, the time is now, the time is now. Don't put it off. Do not wait. Do not trifle. Do not delay. Jesus is making the offer now. One of my heroes in the faith learned this. Lesson, to not put off. To not wait till tomorrow to embrace the gospel. To not wait for tomorrow to call for a response to the gospel. The great D.L. Moody. The account is recorded this way. On Sunday night, October 8th, 1871, the well-known evangelist D.L. Moody preached to the largest congregation that he had yet addressed in Chicago to date. His text that evening was, What shall I do when Jesus, which is called the Christ? What should I do then with Jesus, who is called the Christ? Taken from Matthew chapter 27, verse 22. At the conclusion of his sermon, he said, I wish you would take this text home with you and turn it over in your minds during the week. And the next Sabbath, we will come to Calvary and the cross, and we will decide what to do with Jesus of Nazareth when you return. Then, then his song evangelist, Ira D. Sankey, whose hymns are sprinkled throughout most evangelical hymnals, began to lead in singing a hymn. Today the Savior calls. For refuge fly. The storm of justice falls. And death is nigh. But Sankey never finished the hymn. For while he was singing, the rush and roar of fire engines whistled by the church on the street outside. And before morning, much of the city of Chicago lay in ashes. To his dying day, Mr. Moody deeply regretted that he had told the congregation to come next Sabbath and decide what to do with Jesus. I've never since dared, he said, I've never since dared, he said, to give an audience a week to think of their salvation. If they were lost, they may rise up and judge against me. I have never seen, I have never, I've never seen that congregation since. I will never meet those people until I meet them in another world. But I want to tell you of one lesson that I learned that night which I have never forgotten, and that is when I preach to press Christ upon the people. 
when I preach to press Christ upon the people, then and there, and try to bring them to a decision on the spot. I would rather have the right, that right hand cut off than to give an audience a week now to decide what to do with Jesus. Friends, there's a way. There's a way. There's a way God has provided us. Jesus is offering you a way and a decision must be met, but still we wait. Why? Why do we wait? Why do you wait? Jesus tells us why. Enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. The gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction and those who choose to enter by that gate, the wide gate, those who choose to enter by the wide gate are many. Why? Because it's wide. Because it's easy. Wide and easy here means broad. It means spacious. It means accommodating. It means comfortable. When Jesus says wide, he means this. There's plenty of room for many views on the wide road. There's room for tolerance. There's moral subjectivity. There's permissiveness. The wide path does not have curbs or rails. It doesn't in any way restrict our fallenness. Jesus says the way to destruction is wide. He also says that it's easy, that it's easy. Listen, what does he mean by easy? Not only does it not restrict our fallenness, the wide way actually accommodates our sinfulness. The wide road is easy. Why? Because it actually requires no choice at all. And so we go on with our lives and we move on to the next thing and we feel moments of conviction, but then we move, but then we go. The wide way, it allows us to think what we want to think. It allows us to do what we want to do. The wide way, it allows us to go wherever we want to go. Treat people however we want to treat them. Take what we want to take and believe whatever we want to believe. And so, the, and so those who travel it are many. As I was describing the wide path, Any of those attributes seem attractive to you? I want what I want. I want to do what I want to do. I want to say what I want to say. I want to post what I want to post. I want to fight who I want to fight. 
I want to yell at who I want to yell at. So many of us claim to be on the narrow road, but our actions, our actions, our actions, what do they look like? They look like somebody who's been walking both paths for a while and eventually had to make a choice. You see, church, eventually you got to make an actual choice. You got to step through an actual gate. And this broad way is so incredibly easy because you can just keep doing what you're doing. It takes no choice at all. It is everything my heart wants. The problem is my heart is deceitfully wicked and I can't trust it. That's what my Bible says. One of the delusions of the wide way is that there are many ways. Not just many ways to heaven, like we're way past that. Just many ways. The wide way says, have your way. The wide way says, bring your way. The wide way says, go ahead and add your way to all the other ways. The wide way says, let's make up some more ways. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says there's only two. There's only two. There's only two. And by the words of Jesus, out of those two, there's only one that leads to eternal life. And here, now, in the text, I believe the religious leaders are finally tracking. They're like, yep, love this. Come on, Jesus. They've been pretty perturbed. And I'm not saying they're not done being perturbed. For sure, they still are. But on this particular point, I think this is a point that the religious leaders can get on. That's right. Jesus, there's two ways. There's two ways. You, you, yes, there are two ways. If anyone knew about two ways, it was the religious leaders. For no way, no way was more narrow than their way. Well done, Jesus. You're finally coming around. There are two ways. All throughout the Old Testament, we learn about the two ways. The Pharisees and the scribes were all up on the two ways. Write these verses down. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Psalm chapter 1, verse 6, the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Jeremiah 21, 8 says this, and to this people you shall say, thus the Lord Behold, I set before you the way, the way of life and the way of death. Friends, it was here, Jeremiah 21, verse 8, that the early church drafted the Didache document and the way that the church was to live and the life of Jesus. Even here, all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and two, we see before us these two ways. And here you have the religious leaders. Who is Jesus talking to?
Were they finally saying to themselves, finally this guy is making sense until they heard these words come out of Jesus' mouth. Yeah, you believe in two ways. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Friends, if you ever question whether Jesus ascribed deity unto himself, you just see why. Blasphemy. We know of these two ways, Jesus. We know there's a way that leads to death. But you see how he says that the narrow road is easy to miss? They weren't looking for a person. It was all about piety for them. It was all about keeping the rules, not about a relationship. It was all about putting on a front and looking good. If you've covered your tracks once this week, that's not the narrow way. Jesus says the narrow gate's easy to miss. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. Those who enter by it are many now, verse 14, for the gate that is narrow. For the gate that is narrow and the way that is hard that leads to life. This gate is hard. This this gate is narrow. And Jesus says those who pass by it are When Jesus says it's hard, he's saying it's inconspicuous. It can be right before you and you miss it. You could walk around it your entire life and actually choose not to go through it. He's saying it's not evilly perceived. He's looking out at the crowd and saying, the religious leaders, you're missing it. You're you're missing it because of your, your religiosity, and others of you are missing it. Why? Because of your licentiousness and sensuality. Even when we see the narrow way, even when we hear a sermon on the narrow way, even when the opportunity is presented before us to choose the narrow way, when Jesus says it's hard, When he says it's narrow, what he's saying is it's costly. What a miracle that you would even see the way. What a divine act of God that you would sit under the instruction of his word. But even then, what is he saying? Even then, when you lay eyes on it, when you can see the gate right before you, when it's there for your grasping, there's still this moment when you say intellectually and cognitively, I ought to go through it. But you know instinctively that if you actually go through that gate, it is going to cost you something. And so what do we do? We pretend that we went through the gate and keep all the things that we wanted while we were walking on the broad way. That is not entering the gate. It's just not. 
It's such a hard message to preach because you have to first apply it to your own lives. And I, I look at my own self and I think, my word. I'm so arrogant and prideful because I always put myself in the few. And I believe I'm in the few. For sure I do. And you ought to have that same confidence too. But my word, ought we not evaluate ourselves regularly in this regard? For you are either walking on the narrow road or you're not. And Jesus says it's costly, it's costly, it's costly, it's hard. Friends, the wide gate welcomes us to bring anything we want. The narrow gate calls us to lay everything down. The only thing that will fit through the narrow gate is a cross. The only thing that fits through the narrow gate, the only thing that you can take through the intersection inside your heart right now between this life and the next, from the life of destruction to a life of all eternity and forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ, the only thing that you can carry with you is a cross. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus says, Behold, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Here, friends, here, here, in this moment, at the intersection of our lives, we examine our hearts and we strip ourselves of every idol that we hold dear. Friends, if you want assurance that you've entered the narrow gate, simply, if you want assurance that you've loved, you entered the narrow gate, all you must do is look at the pile of idols that you laid before the gate. Look back at your life and say, that's the stuff I laid down. That's the stuff that belongs on the narrow way, the wide way. And here's what I want to tell you. You laying down your idols is not the price of admission. There is no cost to salvation. That is not what I'm saying. You laying down, Jesus doesn't want your idols. They're garbage. It's not a payment. It's like he's taking your idols and putting them in his bank account and saying, thank you so much. It's not a payment for salvation. It's the prize of assurance. Your pile of idols laying outside the gate is not the price of entrance. It's not the prize. It's not the price of entrance. It is the prize. That is the prize of assurance. Turn your idols into a Karen stone pile. Let the sin that you're carrying right now, let the sin that you're carrying right now turn into a memorial stone of God's goodness and grace as you lay it down. Because some of us are fooling ourselves and we're pretending and we're trifling with the gates and we're dabbling in 
illegalities and we're, we're moving towards things that we ought not be moving towards and we're gazing upon things that we ought not be gazing upon and we are going afoot on the broad way and Jesus is just saying, narrow is the gate. Lay down your idols. This is the moment we lay down our idols. The team is going to come. There is going to be no point to. This is where we lay down our idols. Friends, some of you are lacking confidence in your salvation. I receive your emails. We pray over your requests. And you question and you wonder, am I saved? The confidence of our salvation is directly proportionate to the level of our surrender. The confidence, not the, the confidence the confidence of our salvation is directly proportionate to the level of our surrender. Hear me again. Sacrifices are not the price of admission. Salvation is free. But when you see the floodwaters, when you realize what you're being saved from, when you realize what Jesus has done for you, you will willingly, you will willingly, you will willingly lay it down. Pragmatism will crumble before your eyes. Rel relativism will be seen for what it is. Syncretism will unbraid before you. Politics will become secondary in your pursuits in life. Stances that won't be taken into eternity, will fade. And when you get to heaven, what will remain? What will matter? The way that leads to heaven is narrow. The way to eternal life is hard. How hard is it? Come on, preacher, how hard is it? Jesus said it is so hard that it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And we read this verse and we think to ourselves, man, I'm glad I'm not rich. Man, I'm glad I don't have stuff. Man, I'm glad. I'm glad that I didn't get that job, if that's the case. Friends, we are the rich. We are the rich. What is Jesus saying? Salvation is impossible in and of yourselves. 
His entire sermon about choosing the narrow and the, the wide way. Hear me clearly. It is a miracle of God that I have the privilege to preach this message. It is a miracle of God that we have the privilege to sit under the teaching and instruction of Jesus Christ. It is a miracle of God if you are hearing the voice of Jesus right now calling you unto himself. You cannot save yourself. What I see before us, salvation is an impossibility. That's why your redemption is a miraculous work of God. Praise his name. You can't earn salvation. You can't take the right steps in and of yourself. You're trying to walk the narrow way and convince yourself, lay it down now. Some of you, your self-righteousness is your idol. Some of us, the length of stay in church is what is causing us to just have ourselves convinced that we're there. And today, Jesus says this. No one can come to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws him. I believe the Lord is calling you. I believe with all of my heart the Lord is calling you. You're like, Pastor, this sermon, it sounds so incredibly narrow at the end, like nobody can be saved. That is not at all what I'm saying. What I'm saying is in and of ourselves, we cannot save ourselves. Therefore, we fall to our knees and we embrace the miraculous offer that God is laying before us. Who comes to the Father? Those who Jesus calls. Who is Jesus calling? Those whose ears hear the words of the gospel. And today, hear it again, those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Those who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Why do we need saving? Why do we need calling out? Because Romans 3.23 says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every person in this room is a sinner. Every person in this room has, has walked the broad way. But listen, listen, sinner. God demonstrated his own love toward you God demonstrated his love toward you in that while you were still in your sin, while you were still rebuking God, while you were still going the broad way, he sent Jesus Christ to die for you. Why did he have to send Jesus? Hear it. Romans 6. The wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Roman 10 says, if you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ rose from the dead with the heart one believes, but with the mouth, 
one confesses. that they shall be saved. You will never walk the narrow way perfectly. There was one who was perfect who walked it for you. You'll never walk the narrow way perfectly. But there was one who said this, I am the gate. I am the door. Those who pass by me shall receive life and find pasture. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Pass through me, Jesus said, the gate. And all of these other things will be added unto you. And the things that don't matter will fade away. And you will have this assurance. Whatever you were grasping onto before will fade away like broken idols before you. And you will look back upon that which you thought you had to have. And the stench of it will remind you of the glorious life that you now And so, Lord, we come to you. Humbling ourselves in great need of your grace. Asking, Lord God, that you would move among us in a way that is unlike any posturing that may have gone on before. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us the conditions of our own heart. God, please, this is not the time for other people's names and faces to be running through our heads. God, this is about your children, each and every one of us before you, doing inventory about that which needs to be cast aside. Move in this place. Big decisions, major commitments, Caution applied. The bridge is out. The wide road leads to destruction. Oh God, sear it upon our souls. Father, we ask your forgiveness. We repent of our sins. Collectively, individually, God, there are those in this room who are on the Broadway. They're on the wide path. God, would you snatch them off? God, would you snatch them off right now? God, would you convict souls in this room? Would you cause us to cry out to you? Friend, right where you are, Call upon the name of the Lord. Tell him you're a sinner. Tell him you know that you need his son to save save you from your sins. Ask him to place you on the narrow way. The courage and the strength, lay down the idols. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Right now you are choosing Jesus. Choose Jesus now. 
your own words. Tell the Lord you long to be his child. Thank him for his goodness, grace, and forgiveness over you. Father, we're so grateful that you make a way, that you allow possibility to come out of the impossible. Lord, we sing this as response back to you. Praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.